Let's talk about a struggle many of us know all too well, losing weight. Remember those days when everyone was on a juice cleanse or just basically hangry all the time? That was no fun for anyone. Well, there's a better, more sustainable way to shed those pounds. Today, I want to introduce you to Row Body. It's not your typical weight loss program. Instead of all the gimmicks, they offer access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market. But here's the real deal. They pair these shots with simple lifestyle changes, helping you lose 15 to 20% of your weight in a year on average and actually keep it off. Plus, over 200,000 people have already seen results with Robody. So what sets Robody apart? The support. They handle all the insurance stuff for you and give you access to a provider whenever you need them. And the best part, you can sign up online from home, no doctor's appointments and no waiting rooms. Say goodbye to those days of hangry juice cleanses. With Robody, losing weight is straightforward and sustainable. Take that first step today and say hello to a healthier, happier you. Kickstart your weight loss journey the right way and head to ro.co slash I do. That's ro.co slash I-D-O. Sign up today for just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Remember, medication costs are separate. That's row.co slash I do. Hey, Love Tribe. Today's episode is brought to you by one of my personal favorites, Cozy Earth. They've got something special for all the mothers out there. So anyone who wants to shower the special woman in their lives with love and the comfort they deserve, listen up. Hands down, Cozy Earth has the best sheets, bedding, pajama sets, and more. So today, I'm excited to share that Relationship Advice listeners get an exclusive 35% off discount. Simply go to CozyEarth.com and use the promo code I do at checkout. The first time I tried their bamboo sheets, I was blown away. The comfort level is insane. I just love slipping into their seriously soft and cool sheets after a long day. And for a mom who knows that the struggle of sleep deprivation is real. Cozy Earth's temperature regulating technology has been a lifesaver. No more waking up sweating or freezing. But what really sold me is the quality of the bamboo sheets. They are by far the most comfortable sheets I have ever slept in. They are made to last years, which they have. I think at this point, I have about six sets of them. And they have a 100-night sleep free trial and a 10-year warranty. So you know you're getting something that is going to stick around. So if you're ready to prioritize your sleep health and treat yourself or the mom in your life to the luxury she deserves, head on over to CozyEarth.com and use the promo code I do for an exclusive 35% off because every mom deserves a good night's sleep. And with Cozy Earth, you can finally get the rest you need. What's going on? Chase and Sarah here. Thank you for joining us. I don't think, 
We haven't we... introduced it ourselves in a while. No, do we usually <laughs> at the top of the show we don't say our names? We don't, no. The mystery hosts of yeah. the relationship podcast. Chase and Sarah. Yeah, yeah, we've I mean, we've been doing this for almost five years now. So if this is your first time listening, thanks for joining us. Nice to meet you. We are Chase and Sarah, the hosts of I do podcast. Yeah. Or the Relationship Advice Podcast. Yeah, whatever, whichever episode it is, it's a hit or miss as to what uh, the name will be that day. <laughs> yeah, we're rebranding. Thank you guys for joining us. We have a great show today where we welcome Dr. Stephen Snyder, and he is a sex and relationship therapist in Manhattan and author of the award-winning new book, Love Worth Making, How to Have Ridiculously Great Sex in a Long-Lasting Relationship. And he's been doing this work for over 30 years. And today we talk about what it means to be a man or to date or be married to a man in the 21st century. And we get into some interesting kind of cultural themes of how in the 20th and 19th centuries, women's role in society was obviously a lot different. Like women couldn't vote. It's insane, <laughs> you know, and things have come a long way to modern day. And just a quick note that in a 30 minute podcast with what we're doing, we can't really have a giant cultural critique or conversation or talk about the the political correctness. And, and so I think a lot of people, I know if I was listening to this particular show, I might, especially as a woman, be a little bit frustrated because it's like yeah. some of the sweeping things that, that Dr. Snyder is saying, he has no ill intent, um, certainly at all. And he's just bringing a perspective to the table of like the cultural history and where we're at now. And, Sarah and I might have pushed back a little bit just to have like an interesting conversation or debate um, on some of the issues of, you know, women have now caught up and in, in, are equal to men. Well, not, not quite. <laughs> not quite. And I don't think Dr. Snyder is implying that. Again, that's a more nuanced conversation. And in the context of a 30 minute relationship podcast, we're not really going to dive into that. But we just thought it'd be important for you guys to know that so you're not like banging on the radio like, what are you talking about? Of course, women aren't equal, you know, in all ways yet. And and uh, we recognize there is always work to be done. But I think it's important to to take a uh, the ideas that he's bringing to the table in this perspective and apply them for yourself and, and think freely about it and, and don't get too frustrated with <laughs> the cultural dialogue. I thought it was an interesting conversation. It was. And a lot of the information um, that he gave regarding men's sexuality, he mentioned um, another doctor that we've had on the show a couple of times, Sarah Hunter Murray. And we will go ahead and link to the episodes on this show notes so you can listen to both episodes and really form your own opinion um, by listening to both sides. Thank you so much for tuning in, guys, for subscribing and rating the podcast. It really helps. We are continuing to grow, so we know you guys are doing that. Thank you, as always, and enjoy today's show.
Today's show is brought to you by our online course, Spark My Relationship. Create more passion, improve your communication, and build a stronger, more intimate connection with your partner in less than 90 days. We've collaborated with 15 therapists and psychologists to bring you the strategies marriage therapists teach their clients. To unlock a special offer only for I Do Podcast listeners, visit sparkmyrelationship.com slash unlock. That's sparkmyrelationship.com slash unlock. Hi, Steve. Thank you so much for joining us back on the show. Sarah, it's a pleasure. Glad to be back. Today, we are going to talk about kind of a big subject, one that I'm interested in, but certainly our female listeners should be as well, and that is being a man or loving one in the 21st century. And obviously, today feels like a unique time. I'm sure people in all periods feel this way, but things are changing in gender roles, uh, the information available to everyone. And so let's dive in. How are you seeing the role of masculinity in, in men in today's world and changing and how that shows itself in relationships. Okay. It's been said by many people uh, that the 20th century, over and above everything else that happened in the 20th century, was the century of the woman. A hundred years ago, early part of the 20th century, women couldn't vote. And since then, women have gotten to the point where they have full civil rights, where they are entering into the professions at rates equal to or higher than men, where they're graduating uh, from institutions of higher, in higher learning greater than men, and where women have achieved really full social and financial independence for the most part. In, the most, uh, in many realms, financially, women are doing better. I see more and more uh, families where the woman is earning more than the man, and I see more and more families where the woman really doesn't need the man in the same way as she traditionally did. In addition, women have claimed uh, the right to sexual pleasure, which they never had before. And women have claimed the right to far greater sense of safety in relationships than they ever had before. And then they have at various places, other places in the world. And it's been said the 20th century was the century of women emerging as uh, independent beings. And I think the 21st century is going to be men figuring out what to do with all that. And men figuring out what they're going to do and what their role is going to be and what men are good for and why we need men at all <laughs> and what, what it's all going to be about and how we're, especially we're going to work that out in terms of men and women's romantic and erotic relationships because we really do carry around kind of the baggage of uh, centuries and millennia of all sorts of old-fashioned stuff and we don't exactly know what to do with it anymore. When you mention all that stuff, it's unbelievably amazing that women have come so far. But when you say all that, it's kind of like, well, now we're equal. And it's like, it's a thing that obviously needed to happen. But when you mentioned how men now will process us being, I guess, equal, why do you think men are having such a hard time grasping that idea? I don't think they have a hard time grasping it. I think they can't figure out exactly what women want from them because there are really two contrasting ideas. 
The one is that the man would be pretty similar to the woman, that he would want to talk about his feelings, that he would uh, want uh, an egalitarian relationship, that he would want to share things, share responsibilities, and be equally emotional, equally communicative, equally uh, apt to want to, as it's said sometimes in psychology, to tend and befriend and be a full-fledged emotional being. At the same time, there's other stuff in most women's minds. And there are in heterosexual women tend to have certain expectations of men which don't exactly go in that direction. For instance, women's erotica tends not to feature men who are kind and want to tend and befriend. Women's erotica tends to feature men who are just a little bit dominant. You know, you look at Twilight a couple of decades ago or Fifty Shades of Grey, which sold 150 million copies. These are guys who have a bit of a dominant, dangerous edge to them. Now, they also have a wonderful capacity to be interested and loving, but uh, there's there there are more of these kind of archaic male features in some of these people. And women in egalitarian relationships, I see in the office, often fantasize being with somebody who's a little more dominant. There seems to be something about male dominance that uh, turns a certain erotic switch for many women. So it's confusing for men. They're not sure what the woman wants from them. The resolution of that is that women want both of those things. They want a man to be able to talk when they need to talk to him. They want a man to understand her as a person. And at the same time, when they ask him where he'd like to go for dinner, they don't want to hear, oh, I don't know, anywhere you want to go. They want him to make a decision. They want him to lead. And in bed, she doesn't want to initiate an equal amount of the time as he initiates. She wants him to have a little bit of a, a, a thing and kind of want her. And so she could feel like he's kind of uh, taking charge and taking control. So she can just kind of surrender and kind of turn off her mind and just kind of go with it. So it's a, it's a bit of a mix. And what I tell guys is uh, women usually like a guy who's a bit of a balance between those things, between the old and the new. But that's complicated. You nailed it on the head. It's complicated <laughs> because okay, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it's so interesting this intersection of culture in our lives and and the evolution of culture. Just think back to Sarah and I are in our early thirties, and in our parents' generation, it was the male was the breadwinner, would come home, the wife tended the house. The, the man, you know, you, you didn't really share your feelings and you kept them bottled up and all these kind of cliches. And obviously there were men that weren't doing that and women that weren't. But the cultural accepted storyline was something to this effect. And that has changed and continues to change. And in a lot of ways, that's it's a beautiful thing. But then our psychology like almost has to catch up to that. And that's what you're touching on. And it's so fascinating because it is complicated and everyone likes different things. Like there may be some women that don't want to be dominated and vice versa. But if if we can understand these 
cultural effects and what's going on in the real world change, then we can navigate that better. It seems like that's where you're bringing us to and just that recognition. And you've talked about this, this dichotomy and expressing itself in negative ways. So how, what are some other things that are coming up? You mentioned eroticism. How is this affecting and, and how can we navigate it? I'm kind of in the minority among people who think about this because most people uh, think, well, we're progressing towards a more egalitarian, more modern world. I'm not so sure. I think there will always be this kind of tension because I think there are certain things that are deep in the human species. And I think that uh, I don't see it changing so easily that women really, really want to feel desired and they want to feel that the man really wants them and he wants to initiate. I don't see women uh, joyfully embracing that they're going to be the ones who are going to take charge in bed. I just don't see that happening. And not among the women I talk to. Uh, they say, I take charge all the time. I go to bed. I want to just turn off my head. I want a guy who can be a man. So it's a, it's, I don't think it's just a matter of progressing towards some destination. I think it's figuring out where to strike that balance. You know, we have a long and checkered history as a species. Um, there's a, a, a figure of speech which is much maligned in, uh, in progressive uh, politics and progressive psychology, which is man the hunter. You know, it's felt to be archaic. And the idea is that we should just get over that because that was always just kind of a crock. It turns out it wasn't. Chimpanzees, they're pretty much equal. They all eat bananas and stuff, and they don't really have specialized uh, roles in terms of food acquisition. But at some point, you know, hundreds of thousands of years ago and millions of years ago, really, humans went in a different direction and they really uh, uh, split off in terms of gender roles. And men direct developed strong shoulders, strong arms, and those strong shoulders and arms were for throwing things. They were for throwing rocks and they were for throwing spears so that they could kill animals. And we know that killing big animals was a big thing in human evolution. People crossed over the Bering Strait into North America about 10,000 years ago. And within a thousand years, all the large mammoths and stuff had, had died off. They'd all been killed by, by humans. And by and large, it had been the men killing them. So man, the hunter was a thing that became archaic after a while. Uh, people settled down and farmed, and they developed language and writing, and they developed empires. And the people who were in charge of those empires, by and large, were male. That there was something about uh, men's uh, attributes or the way societies were structured, that the men uh, were the, the kings, the lords, and this was the patriarchy. It was the era of, of, of patriarchy. That's where it all got started. You know, the, the Bible is basically patriarchal because it comes from that time. There was such a thing as a king. And so we know genetically from the DNA studies that uh, the kings reproduced a lot and that a lot of the other guys didn't. So we're the descendants of the dominant men. So that all gets filtered through what happened in the 20th century, which uh, I say the 19th and 20th century were the, were the centuries of the paycheck, where the guy came home and he brought home the paycheck. He worked outside of the house 
and the woman worked in, you know, did homework, housework inside of the house, raised the kids. That had never really happened before. And so we're really bearing the influence of those three things. And now, since the 1970s, women working so much more, most families are dual paycheck families, and we don't really know what to do with it because we've got this imprint from centuries and millennia of guys being the warriors, the hunters, the kings, the providers, and uh, and that stuff is still kind of in our in our in our beings in some kind of way, and we don't really know how to get rid of it. And men in my office say who are a little bit dommy, they kind of like to take charge. Very often, they're very popular. Men in my office who are a little bit subby, who just kind of want a woman to take care of them and want a woman to make the decisions and may want a woman to take charge in bed, dominate them a little bit, they can't get a date. There's something in most heterosexual women that kind of yearns for a guy who's a little bigger, a little stronger. And uh, so we're, st we're stuck with that kind of stuff. I'm rambling, perhaps, but uh, I, I'm, what I'm saying is it's not just a matter of just saying, OK, well, let's just move into the future. I think we're kind of stuck a little bit in the past. So what specific tools would you give to those men who are less dominant, who want to uh, maybe be more dominant in their next relationship or uh, in their current relationship? Yeah. OK. Um, it's tricky because a guy can't just be other than who he is. And some guys just don't really have the thing for dominance. It's just not part of their being. So what I tell guys is you don't necessarily want to be dom if you're not a dom, but there's some simple psychological things that you can do that can enable you to function better in a heterosexual relationship. The first is not to care so much what your partner thinks, because uh, that's just very, very basic. There's a guy named Robert Glover who wrote a book called No More Mr. Nice Guy, where he talks about the fact that a lot of women describe they get turned off by guys who are just too nice. And part of being a nice guy is that you're always worried what your partner thinks of you. You got to just relax and say, look, I'm going to do and say what I do and say, and I'm not going to be domineering about it. I'm interested in what she says, too, but I can't go around all the time worrying about how to please her. So I think your question, how does a guy be more dominant? You don't want to do that if it's an effort to please the woman or take care of her needs for you to be dominant. You don't want to worry about that much about what, what she thinks. You want to say, I am who I am. Is that a little bit twisted answer? Is it making any sense? <laughs> it does. It does. Absolutely. I guess my follow up question to that would be specifically in the bedroom. If he's just not naturally dominant and maybe she uh -huh. wants it to be a little bit more dominant, where can he kind of give a little yeah. bit to please her in that way without totally not being true to himself? Well, he doesn't, she doesn't want him to give to please her. That's the main thing. She wants him to just be himself. Um, but if himself has to do with pleasing her, then there's a bit of a conundrum, which I think we're identifying here. So the main thing is that in bed, he should be passionate. And to be passionate is to be concerned with your own erotic pleasure. Men are often warned against this. 
I often say there's kind of masculinity 1.0, which we've been talking about with the hunters and the kings and the, the paycheck earners um, who never really thought much about their partner's pleasure. Then there's masculinity 2.0, which is uh, since the 70s and the, the sons of feminists and so forth, where they're taught that they should be paramountly concerned with your partner's pleasure. Many women come into my office and they go, you know, it's just he wants to just please me and he spends all his time trying to give me orgasms and it's just kind of boring because there's no passion in it. So you really want to say, look, this is what I really want. This is what I really like. And what I really like is you. If a woman, if a man feels, if a woman feels that the man is really uh, expressing real passion, then that's really going to make things go in the right way. So I would say the answer there is real passion. If you're really into her, express it. A lot of guys don't have the confidence to do that though. They're always worried. Am I doing it right? Am I doing this right? And that's going to turn off most women. You're touching on it here, but we're talking about the nature of desire and this relationship between the history of our species and men being dominant, women desiring that. Can you talk a little bit more about our nature when it comes to desire and, and how we can kind of get wrapped up in trying to cultivate this desire a little bit too much? Let's take a break to talk about today's sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you by Plan to Eat. Meal planning and grocery shopping used to be so time consuming and stressful, really. And in the past, before Plan to Eat, I would try to convince Chase to eat out pretty much every every meal. Way too much. <laughs> way, we way. Killing the bank account. <laughs> way too much. It would take me so much time to find new recipes and then write all the recipes down. And then inevitably, I would give the grocery list to Chase and there would be quite a few things that would come back missing or not. Oh, come on. Not, not I would on get the most of it. Okay. Okay. Well, <laughs> if I use plan to eat, it would have helped me. You know, it was born from their desire to eat real food, not always at restaurants. That's true. Mm -hmm. And prepared at home. And it's also an amazing tool to help you prepare delicious, wholesome food that nourishes both the body and the soul. So this is how it works. It's pretty amazing. So listen up. Plan to Eat is a subscription service that gives you the tools to clip and organize recipes from any website, literally any website, create a meal plan, and then their software automatically creates an organized shopping list based on your plan. It is so amazing. I can literally take a recipe from anywhere, copy and paste that into my plan to eat. Just the it, link. Literally just the link. It's pretty amazing. And then it will pull all the ingredients and put it into my shopping list. It's the future of <laughs> grocery future. shopping. <laughs> and your wife won't yell at you for missing stuff. I, I know because it's so <laughs> clear and organized. My handwriting is pretty bad, so I don't blame you. <laughs> <laughs> and with your subscription, you can access your meal plans and shopping lists on your desktop and their mobile app. And they have a full-time support team to help you get started and answer any questions you may have. Plan to Eat offers monthly and yearly options for $4.95 a month or $39 a year. That's only 75 cents a week. Less than a dollar. We are good at math. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, actually, we're not even that good. It's, they tell Sarah us. Sarah wrote it out. <laughs> I wrote we it out. We do that math. <laughs> they also include a free, fully functional 30-day trial with no payment required. So you can easily see if it's right for you. 
Plan to Eat has one big sale year and it's coming up. You can purchase a single yearly subscription at 50% off, but only during November 29th through December 2nd. If you're new to Plan to Eat, visit plantoeat.com slash I do, and you can start a free 60-day trial instead of their normal 30-day trial. And you can still purchase a subscription during the Black Friday sale. Your subscription will begin at the end of your trial. Again, visit plantoeat.com slash I do and start your free 60-day trial. Today's episode is also brought to you by BetterHelp. One of the best ways to improve your relationship in your life is talking to a certified therapist or counselor. And now with BetterHelp, you can do it on your own time and at your own pace. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist. And you'll be able to choose from licensed professional counselors who are specialized in depression, stress, anxiety, anger, family conflicts, LGBT matters, relationships, sleeping, trauma, grief, and self-esteem. Really whatever it is that you want to work on and get help with. And of course, anything you share is confidential. And with over 3,000 U.S. licensed therapists across all 50 states, they will find a therapist that matches with you and that you are happy with. And for some reason, if you are not happy with the counselor that is matched with you, then you can request a change at any time for no additional charge. And best of all, BetterHelp is super affordable. And our listeners today can get 10% off your first month with the discount code I do. So get started today by visiting betterhelp.com slash I do. Simply fill out the questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you'll love. That's betterhelp.com slash I do. I think, I think one should never try to cultivate desire. I think a desire should just occur naturally. One can set the conditions for it. The best condition, obviously, is to uh, choose a partner that you're attracted to naturally. So you're just going to, you know, uh, be attracted to that person because you chose them that way. Um, and the other is just to really be able to do what really turns you on. And if there's something that really turns you on and then your partner's okay with it, you should do it. But let me get back to your question. The question of the nature of our desires, the nature of men's and women's desires, that's almost an impossible question to answer because we live in a culture and culture influences these things. Um, but there's a lot of speculation about this. I was thrilled to see you have one, you had one of my favorite uh, sexual scholars on the show recently, Sarah Hunter Murray. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. From, from Canada. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, Said she's got a she's got some wonderful work coming out, uh, mostly from uh, surveys, questionnaires having to do with uh, what men, women, and men, women, what men and women want. And her main point, as far as I understand it, is that they're not so different. They want similar kinds of things. Um, I'm not really convinced of that. I think she may take that a little bit too far, uh, and I love to have a chance to discuss that with her. We've talked about it a little bit, but uh, I think that, you know, it used to be in the 20th century, in the mid 20th century, as many feminist scholars described, women were thought of as kind of like men. They were thought of as just like little men. And the big saying was, you know, we're not just little men. You can't just think about women 
in male terms. We're different. Carol Gilligan wrote a book in the 70s called In a, in a Different Voice. When men and women, the way they thought about it, the way they made decisions, their social sense, their moral sense seemed to be structured a little bit differently. And they were equal, but different. I think the same era error is occurring in the 21st century where men are being envisioned as like big women. And so somebody like Sarah Hunter Murray is saying, well, they have the same kind of feelings that women do. And they also, um, you know, want to feel desired and they also uh, want to want sex sometimes and not want it sometimes. And they don't want to feel boxed in and they have a whole range of emotions. Now, obviously, that's true. But I think you can miss some distinctive things about male desire if you envision men and women as being not that different. I think you miss something. And if you'd like, I can get into what I think the main things are that you miss. Yes. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, so the first thing that I think gets missed if you think of men as just big women is the idea of what sometimes is called in the female sexual uh, field, sexual fluidity. The idea that a woman can have certain kinds of sexual feelings and then at another point can have certain other kinds of sexual feelings. They can be fluid. So she can have attraction perhaps to a man and then in midlife can discover a relationship with a woman and be erotically attracted to a woman, sometimes for the first time, never realized she had the potential for that. The other illustration, classic illustration of female sexual fluidity is the uh, woman who goes out with a man, he takes her to dinner, and she's not really that attracted to him. But he shows her some really fine qualities. He's interested in what she has to say. He's considerate. He's generous. And he's a real mensch. And he uh, treats her well, and she becomes interested in him. And sooner or later, within a couple of weeks, she finds that she's physically attracted to him. And that's, uh, again, an experience of female sexual fluidity. Sex erotic attraction, sexual nature, sexual taste can kind of uh, jump around a little bit. Men, it's often not pointed out, but I want to point it out, don't really have that. Most men have very much less sexual fluidity. I always tell women, don't assume a guy is going to be like you are, that maybe you can get him attracted to you if he's not. A guy usually is either attracted to a woman or he's not. And if he's not, there's not that much she can do. That's why, you know, you read Cosmo, how to turn him on and be the greatest lover he's ever had. It tends not to work because a guy is just either attracted to a woman or he's not. And I'm speaking in general terms. I'm sure they're acceptance. But for heterosexual couples, you know, if the attraction is not there, if the power is not there in his passion, then it's not going to grow. So I think that's something that you miss when you're talking about uh, men are a lot like women. Well, yeah, but no. Um, the other example of this is. One might say that women have sexual fluidity. Men have what might mean say sexual rigidity, that men tend not to change very much and they tend to get stuck in certain positions like fetishists, uh, men with certain kinds of tastes. Those fetishists tend to be kind of fixed. You can't really do anything about them. They don't change or kink. Men tend to be either a little dommy or a little subby, and it doesn't really change. Whereas a lot of women, they can kind of go back and forth, and they can enjoy all kinds of varieties of kink. 
So that's a one number one that I think tends to be different about men and women. Are you with me so far? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Another one, and tell me if I'm rambling a little bit, um, is that uh, women's desire, as most scholars in the field say these days, is highly contextual. It's dependent on the situation. It's dependent on the relationship. It's dependent on feelings about a lot of other things. Um, for some women, it's dependent on whether anybody uh, picked up the socks that were on the floor. You know, you see the socks that were left on the floor carelessly, it could ruin her desire. So it all depends on context. Male desire, by and large, doesn't depend on context. It tends to be independent of context. Uh, I attend a lot of conferences uh, where people are talking, mostly most sex therapists are women, uh, and they're talking about what cultivates desire, what develops desire, what are the situations and contexts in which desire manifests. And as a guy, I listen to this and I go, that doesn't really make any sense to me. You know, most guys will say, you know, a woman who's attractive takes off her shirt. That, that stimulates desire. That's really it. It doesn't really need any context. So I think that's also different. And people decry the idea that male sexuality is simple. People are saying male sexuality is complex, too. You know, Sarah Hunter Murray is, is quick to emphasize that. And she's obviously got a point, and perhaps we've oversimplified it. But I think in another sense, male sexuality is simple. It tends to be rather rigid, rather fixed, not that fluid, not as fluid as women, certainly, and uh, not as context-dependent. tends to be independent of context. These are big themes when it comes to identity as as a man and how uh, a woman would be relating to a man who is feeling these pressures, you know, like listening to our podcast, we have Sarah on. And I think it's important to to get the different perspectives and and just to, to understand that these outside influences like listening to this podcast are shaping your thinking and you might go, Hey, I'm a man. I should be more sexually fluid because that's what the research is showing with, uh, Sarah Hunter Murray maybe. And then then Dr. Snyder comes on and he's saying not so much. And maybe it's somewhere in the middle, but understanding the perspectives of both and how culture is impacting the way you view yourself that's really the name of the game. I think so too. And I think that you got to be honest about your own feelings. And if you're fluid or context dependent, then you're fluid or you're context dependent, regardless of whether you're a man or a woman. And if you're rather rigid and not context dependent, then you are, regardless of whether you're a man or a woman. I think though that it tends to, uh, tends to track along gender lines, although they're obviously gender benders and they do exist. So with all this in mind, how can we cultivate an erotic connection, especially in long-term relationship? I think that the main thing is to not feel that you have to be something that you're not. So let's say a guy who's not particularly dommy, you don't want him to feel, how can I be more dommy for my woman? You want him to say, I'm not particularly dommy, take me or leave me. Now that is a very dommy thing to do. To say, you know, I am what I am. I'm, uh, you know, I'm happy with myself. I don't have to please anybody. I think a lot of the mischief 
in couples comes when they feel like they have to please their partners. Obviously, it's nice to be generous to your partner and to be considerate of your partner. But say a woman who has sex with her husband just to please him, after a while, she's not going to enjoy sex very much. And a man who feels he has to be other than himself just to please his partner, after a while, that's not going to work. It works best when both people are totally themselves. And if there's conflict between what you want, then that conflict just has to be dealt with. So one of the things I talk a lot about in my book is what if there's something that one person wants and the other person doesn't really want it? Uh, give you an example. Uh, and I hope I can say this since I know this is a family show. Oh, no. Uh, it, it, uh, can we talk about oral sex? Oh, yeah, we, yeah, yeah. We can talk about oral sex. <laughs> yes. Is that okay? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, the uh, big thing in the progressive community is that cunnilingus is mandatory and that every woman deserves to have her partner go down on her. And that's really interesting because uh, that assumes that uh, all guys like it. Now, some guys love it. Other guys, it's just not their thing. You can imagine, uh, one of my favorite games is what if we switched the genders? What if we said uh, fellatio was mandatory? All women have to go down on their men. That's not going to go over very well, right? But you could say cunnilingus is mandatory and people say, yeah, 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 you got to do it. You got to do it. So there's something about uh, our historical moment where we're compensating for women's having been sexually neglected. And I understand that. I sympathize with that. But what I think what it misses is the fact of what each person really likes and wants. And there's some guys that just love cunnilingus. And there's some guys, it's just not their thing. It's the exact equivalent of if you're a, uh, uh, a woman who loves to do fellatio and there are other women that's just like not their thing. They don't really like it. So if a couple has a disparity there, like she, she loves it. It's her favorite thing to receive. And he just really doesn't like to do it. They've obviously got a problem. It would be nice if you uh, had questionnaires when you were dating and you could just fill out checklists and then you would know <laughs> in advance. But sometimes people fall in love with each other and they don't know these things in advance. And so the question then becomes in a kind of a granular sense, right? What do you like about it? What do you like about it? And is there a way that we can create so that uh, uh, you can get those things that you really like? Well, she says, I really like the affirmation of myself genitally. I, I like that, that sense of vulvar affirmation. Okay, well, let's think how we can get that sense of vulvar affirmation um, in a way that the guy really finds a turn on because you want to do things that both people find to be a turn on. So is it the wetness? Is it the warmth? Is it the attention? Is it the, you know, certain kind of passionate feeling and to figure out and then you ask the guy, well, what don't you like about it? Well, what is it? Is it scent? Is it uh, uh, position? Um, whatever. And then once you get granular about those things, then you can figure out what everybody really wants. And I always say he wants A, she wants B, and you end up with C. And that's the mark of a good marriage usually. We talk about it a lot on past episodes, but communicating around sex. And this isn't a perfect example of your partner doesn't want to go down on you rather than feeling rejected or thinking they don't like you, like having a grown-up conversation, and we'll link to those episodes in the exactly. show notes. But yeah, and then you can find that C, like you said, like getting to that compromise, uh, because that is ultimately what's going to make everyone happier, not just doing it because you hate it, but your partner likes it. In a long-term relationship, that's not going to be something that's sustainable. Exactly. It was a mistake with blowjobs and it's a mistake with cunnilingus too. 
I think this is such an interesting way to to frame everything. I was an anthropology. <laughs> Sorry. No, no. Like I was an anthropology major and and you're we're talking about like these big cultural themes and shifts and obviously we're not going to cover yeah. it sufficiently in a 30-minute podcast episode or certainly, you know, come to any sweeping conclusions, but taking the perspective that you're taking and bringing to our attention that, hey, like flip the gender roles, like suddenly the feminist perspective and kind of being pushed in pop culture is like, yeah, you need to go down on your woman to to please her. And if we switch that, it's not going to come across so it well. It wouldn't make any sense. Right. And and so – Exactly. It wouldn't make, wouldn't make any sense. Yes. And, and so thinking about these things in a broader context – Switching the roles, whether, you know, it, it, it's vice versa. If it's if it's the man, like you said, like every woman needs to give their partner a blowjob. Like that doesn't make any sense either. So really stepping doesn't back. Doesn't make any sense either. Yeah. Yeah. So are there any other, before we wrap up, are there any other major yeah. cultural things going on now that you want to point out that we can bring into our lives? Ah, oh, there are a lot of them. Um <laughs> That's right. The major cultural things, the question is bringing into their lives. I would say uh, you take the major thing, cultural things going on and throw them away and decide what you really want and what really turns you on. That would be the main thing. You know, there's a there's a book that came out a little while ago called The Unmade Bed about um, male female relations in the 21st century. Do you know the book? I don't think it's been very well, well known. Um, and, uh, the author was a man and on the cover, it said by so-and-so the man. And then it said underneath with comments by his wife, which is interesting because in the 21st century, that gives you legitimacy. Legitimacy comes from the female point of view in the 21st century. Uh, women are the judge and jury of these things. At one time, men were the judge and jury of these things. Can you imagine a book just flipping it that said a book written by a woman and it said with comments by her husband? It would never happen. So things have totally flipped. So these days, uh, women have really de facto become the authorities in intimate matters. And so we really want to question that just as much as we questioned 100 years ago when men were the authorities. And the, 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 the bottom line is that nobody's the authority. Everybody just is the authority about themselves. Everybody knows what turns them on and what doesn't. And you just got to be honest about that. And if two people have a sincere wish to enjoy feeling turned on and they're sincerely attracted to each other, then, as you say, they can have granular discussions about what they really, really want, what really turns them on, and really accept that each person is who they are and like what they like. And you really don't have to uh, judge it or make a fuss about it or see whether it fits with one culture's conceptions or another. That is a great place to wrap up, Steve. Decide for yourself. Take this information. Be conscious, aware of what culture is telling you and decide for yourself and for your relationship. So we love that. Thank you so much for coming back on the show, Steve. Before we wrap up, can you tell us a little bit about your latest book and where our listeners can find you online? Sure. Uh, the book is called Love Worth Making, and it's a guide to emotions in long-term relationships, which, as you know, is kind of the uh, holy grail of sex therapy. And it's uh, by from St. Martin's Press, and you can find it any Amazon or 
BNN or Books a Million or anywhere, just about anywhere. You just Google Love Worth Making. Um, and online, I'm on a uh, podcast. It's my own podcast from Macmillan Publishers uh, QDT Network. It's the Quick and Dirty Tips Network. It has nothing to do with sex. It's just that's the name of the network. <laughs> and so if you just Google Relationship Doctor QDT, Stephen Snyder, you get me. Wonderful. Well, we'll have the links to all the books we talked about today, as well as your podcast and your website on our show notes on idpodcast.com. And thanks again for joining us back on the show. Chase and Sarah, thank you so, so much. And uh, really appreciate it. A pleasure talking to you as always. Hi, guys. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. As always, all the links are in the show notes page, as well as on the podcast description. And while you're on our website, we encourage you guys to check out our 14 day happy couple challenge. We send you an email for 14 days with simple, doable challenges to help strengthen and improve your relationship. And on our website, we also have a bunch of free resources for your relationship. So we encourage you to check those out. Uh, We also have our love tribe on Facebook. Uh, We encourage you guys to join the tribe and uh, be there for support for each other. If you have questions or just need some relationship advice, we are all here for each other. Um, The group has grown to almost a thousand people um, and we love it. So we hope you guys join that. You can go to Facebook love tribe fam and you'll find us right there. And if you are interested in learning more about our flagship course, spark my relationship, we hope you guys check it out. We have a special offer that is only for podcast listeners. So you can go to sparkmyrelationship.com slash unlock and you can unlock that special offer and learn more as always thank you guys so much and we'll see you next week you were listening to a pleasure podcast For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com.